Well, it is so good to be with you. How many of you, how many of you, whether you're in the chapel or you're in the worship center, you met somebody that you had not met before? Show of hands. That is awesome. Look at that. Look at the opportunity to have community. If we've not met, my name is Merle. It's a joy to serve uh, Pleasant Valley as lead pastor. And uh, as Corey said, we just want to welcome all of you here. Looking forward to all of the pastors being in the petting zoo next week. It's going, to be the, it's going to be a little bit different this year. We're going to have pastors in the petting zoo wearing llama outfits and all of that. That would be something, wouldn't it? It's not going to happen, but it would be something. How many of you uh, like to talk about food? How many of you know that I often talk about food? Three food groups, bacon, Barbecue and cinnamon rolls, right? That's right. <laughs> I don't think my doctor's in here this morning, so I can say that. So uh, if, if you've noticed that oftentimes we like to talk about food, I've got a friend online that uh, he takes picture of his food quite frequently, and I become envious of the pictures of the food that he's, uh, he is portraying there online. And if you were to ask people if they know any, like, if they know any, uh, dinner stories of people's kind of interesting habits at mealtimes, you would have no shortage of stories, wouldn't you? Like, for instance, we had a guy in our church in Topeka who put peanut butter on everything. That is not an exaggeration. He would carry peanut butter with him to like a potluck, and he'd put peanut butter on, you name it. You got to have peanut butter. And I saw some folks looking around, it's like, somebody else is just like me. <laughs> or maybe you had a grandpa that liked to put gravy on his cake. Any of you have a grandpa that... <laughs> I've heard about it. <laughs> I don't do it, but I've heard, I've heard about that. There, there's an old wives' tale. There's an old wives' tale that says, if you eat ice cream with a spoon upside down, you won't get headaches. Old wives' tale. Why don't y'all try that out and tell me about it, okay? Or maybe you're one of those people who you do not let food touch on your plate. Do we have any folks that would be willing to confess that? A lot of folks say, listen, we do not commingle peas with potatoes. Just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> The things that really activate enthusiasm in the life of our church is often, often amazing to me. Or maybe you're one of those folks that you eat things in order, like you've got an order that you have to eat them, like you have to eat the salad before you eat a, uh, eat a starch, or, and you have to do that before you eat, eat meat of some kind. Are any of you like that, that you have an order that you eat in? Okay, all right. A few of you admitted that. We do have a counseling groom that is available. You knew I was going there. I am so sorry about that. Some of us have, uh, as children, if you had a dog in the house, you were a food smuggler, right? You would smuggle the food off the plate when mom wasn't looking, and you'd give the dog cauliflower, and your mom would come back and say, sweetheart, I'm so proud of you. Your plate is clean while the dog is down there burping, you know? 
Did you know that in China, it is okay to burp? In certain Latin cultures, uh, if you clean off your plate, that's an indication to the host that you want more food and they will bring you more food, continue to bring you more food. In the earliest writings of etiquette, this is back in like the 1530s, in one of the earliest writings of etiquette, it says this, and I quote, if you can't swallow a piece of food, turn around discreetly and throw it somewhere. <laughs> Children do that all the time. It's not discreet. It's just like they, they throw that. One more, one more. How many of you are one of those people when it comes to eating pie and you're going to share it with someone like your husband or your wife that you have to eat the tip of the pie before they do? Or like me, you're willing to let your spouse have the tip of the pie. <laughs> because you know the tip of the pie is the best part of the pie, right? That's what you want. You're weird. I just want you to know that. I have hardly any agreement on that whatsoever. So, in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, you were wondering, where is this going? In our study of the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon that's ever been given... We've been focusing on the Lord's Prayer, and we've been thinking about what does it mean to live a well-prayed life? That's the title of this series, Well-Prayed. And we're going to get to a section in the Sermon on the Mount that's very simple, and maybe you feel like we could probably just bypass this because this seems so, this seems so pedestrian, this seems so like... This isn't deep spiritual food, but I'm telling you, Jesus included it, so we're going to look at it, and it's a verse that has to do with food. So, before we get there, let's read out loud in all of our venues, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and let's read it in unison. Therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You want to live a well-prayed life, right? I don't know of any Christians who don't want to have a stronger and more active and meaningful prayer life. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on this. And it's basically Jesus has given us a pathway to powerful prayer. And one of the things that Jesus does is he gives it to us with the appropriate kind of progression. I don't know if you noticed it, but the progression of the prayer does what? It starts with God first, and then it eventually gets to us. And so if you're taking notes, two places on the prayer path marked out by Jesus, number one is this, practice adoration before petition. Practice adoration before petition. So for instance, if you look at verses 9 and 10, our Father, your name, your kingdom, your will. And then eventually we get to us. Give us, forgive us, do not bring us into temptation. 
There is something incredibly powerful. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but something incredibly powerful about focusing on who God is before talking to God about what it is that you need. So, for instance, when I remind myself of who God is, it brings all of my petitions into perspective. When I remember that he is Father, that his name reveals his character, that he has a kingdom that is here and it's on its way, and that what he wants done is to be done, it changes the way that I go about praying and looking at what it is that I need. So when I remember when, that God is Father, what it does is it causes me want to to sing a song of trust. Whenever I understand that God is holy, I'm compelled to confess my sins and to seek his mercy and to celebrate his grace. Whenever I consider that he is king and his kingdom includes me, I'm moved to not continue to want to build my own kingdom, but to submit to the will of the great king. Practice adoration before petition. Last week after, after the service, one of our PVers came up to me and reminded me of something. And what she said was something like this. Praise invites God's presence. Now, we are in the presence of God right now. Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there you are. There I am in the midst of them. In God, we live and move and have our being. So we are always in the presence of God. But there's something about when we express honor and praise and adoration for God that we sense his presence in a, in a more present way. There's something about praising God that draws him close to us. We know that he is living in the midst of our praise. The Bible says in Psalm 22:3 that God inhabits the praise of his people. So when you and I praise God, he takes up residence there. And you can do that in your own personal private time, what I love about corporate worship is that it really does, I sense that collectively, that we are in the presence of God, and it, it, is, it is so perspective shifting for me. I've got a watch on, and I often, it tells me what my heart rate is, and so what I love to do is after I have like really given God praise in worship, I like, to, I like to go, what was my heart rate? And I've gotten up to 130 before. Yeah. I feel the stint in my heart moving. <laughs> there's something powerful, there's something that's moving inside of us whenever we are willing to give God praise. Think about this in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was a there was a city that was inhabited by the enemies of God. And one of the things that God told the people of God, which seemed absolutely crazy, is I want you to march around this city for seven days, do it seven times, and on that seventh final day and that seventh final walk around the city, I want you to shout a song of praise and adoration. And when they did, they overcame their obstacle. They overcame their enemy. I wonder what would happen. If in our own lives, 
We occupied a spirit of adoration before we brought God all of our list of things that we want from Him. I wonder what kinds of things we would overcome. If you go to the New Testament, Paul was in jail for his commitment to Jesus. And he and others in the prison began to praise God at midnight. They began to celebrate the goodness of God even in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. And what happened? The chains were broken and they were released from their prison. There's something powerful and freeing about practicing adoration before we bring to God our petition. So that's the first stop on the path of prayer that is powerful. The second stop is this, trust God for daily provision. Trust God for daily provision. And we're going to park most of the rest of our time right here. Matthew 6, 11 says, give us today our daily bread. Now, if I were honest with you, I would say this. Most of us have trouble relating to this prayer, and we don't think about this prayer very often. Do you know why? Because you go in your pantry, and you go and you look in your refrigerator, and you feel of your stomach, and for most of us, we are, we are so packed, and we have so much produce, so much at our disposal can you think about the last time you asked for food other than I want a cinnamon roll or a donut or something like that? Or you go in the refrigerator at midnight and there's all kinds of food and you go, there isn't anything to eat here at all. Look in the pantry, I wish I had something to eat. When was the last time that you actually asked God for food? Maybe most of us pray prayers like this, God, keep me from eating more than I need to eat. Or the prayer that we should pray when we're about to gorge out and we pray the, the craziest prayer. God, would you bless this food to the nourishment of my body? I'm about ready to eat stuff that's going to clog my arteries and elevate my sugar and all of that. And I'm saying, God, I want you to do the miraculous thing. And God's going, what? Why don't you just eat better instead of expecting me to always perform a miracle every time you eat that garbage? Why don't you do that? Anyway. You don't find books on star, uh, surviving starvation. How many of you have a book in your home about surviving starvation? Anybody? No. How many diet books do you have? How many podcasts have you listened to about how to survive a famine? And how many podcasts have you listened to about how to eat differently so that you can slim up? Now, while all of that is true, it doesn't negate the importance of this prayer, give us today our daily bread. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a little, we're going to do a little word work, okay? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at bread, and then we're going to look at this word daily. And we're going to do a little word work so that we can understand the richness of this very simple verse. Are you still with me? Okay, just two words we're going to look at, and then we're going to look at some, uh, some other things. So we're going to think together really fast. Bread was a staple in the diet of the Jews and had been for, for many, many years. But bread was a powerful symbol as well as God's provision for his people in the Old Testament. You go to the Exodus chapter 16, and you read about God providing 
food for his people while they were in the wilderness. The Israelites were starving. They were complaining to God. And so what does God do for 40 years? God provides them with food called what? Manna. Do you know the definition of manna? What is it? What is it? How many of you have ever been served something and you said, what is it? I can tell you what it is. You know what it is? It's manna. That's exactly what it is. They didn't know what to call it. It was heavenly food that had come down and they didn't, they'd never seen this before. They didn't know what to call it, but they understood that it was God's provision for them. And what God instructed Moses to tell the people to do is you only gather enough food for one day. Because if you gather more than you're going to eat for one day, what's going to happen? It ends up spoiling. And they, there were some folks that were just greedy, and they, they, they had a worrisome mentality, and they, were, they weren't trusting God for the day. They thought that God couldn't be trusted for tomorrow like he was being trusted for today. So they would gather more than they needed, and it would become foul, and it would breed worms. There was only one day that you could collect more than one day's manna, and that was the day before Sabbath because you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. So like the Israelites in the wilderness to pray, give us today our daily bread, Jesus is teaching us this truth. Can you, will you trust God for your daily provision, for your daily need? Because bread means more than just food. Bread means all that is needed for our well-being. So let's take a look at the word daily. And why am I going there? The reason I'm going there is that this word in the New Testament, the word daily is interesting because it appears nowhere else in the ancient Greek language that we know of, with the exception of in this verse in Matthew and a similar verse in Luke. Only place that you're going to find this word. And the word is, we're going to do a little Greek study here, episuian, uh, episuian. Epi means on, in, upon, or to. Usis means essence, being, or substance. So it would seem to mean this, that which is needed for us to be. That's what we're praying for. Give us today what it is we need in order to be, in order to have that which is essential. Now, the word, the word daily is the best that we can do in the English language to try and translate an ancient word so that it has some meaning for us. But maybe the better way to do it would be this, that which is needed for us to be, that which is essential. Next slide. Give us today the bread that we need to exist. Jesus is saying, trust God for your daily provision for life. Now, this is what I think some of us do with this particular verse. We think this is a low-level prayer. This is a low-grade prayer. This is, this is not a prayer that's very spiritual at all because most of us have never prayed this other than when we have recited the Lord's Prayer. We don't think about the meaning of it, and we think, this is what we think, and I, I think this is true in my own journey and what I've heard from other folks. Typically, what are we praying for? I can tell you what you're praying for. You're praying for something more spiritual, aren't you? You're praying for something like, I want to be more holy. I want to be more loving. I want to be more patient. I want to be more sacrificial. As if 
thinking that the physical needs of life are somehow not on the same par as spiritual things. Do you know who you are? You are a dualist. You are not a believing Christian who understands true godly doctrine because everything that is material is important to God. It is not less important to God. Basic human needs are as important to God as spiritual needs that you and I have. J.I. Packer, a great theologian, said it this way. Such hyper-spirituality, in other words, thinking that God is not interested in the physical side of life, such hyper-spirituality is really un, an unspiritual ego trip. God cares for our physical needs no less than our spiritual needs. Now notice that this is a prayer for need, not a prayer for greed. God knows the danger of greed and abundance. If you were to go to Proverbs chapter 30, it contains a prayer from Agur, son of Jacob, and it says this, keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Why? Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. So what is the idea here? The idea is that God is a God who knows what our needs are. He daily provides what it is that we need to be, that what it is that we need to exist. God is not the God who's going to give you every greedy thing that you want, but he is a God that will provide all the needs that he knows that you and I have. And so this idea only makes sense. Follow me. This idea only makes sense when we are committed to live a life of contentment. The discipline of simplicity. The discipline of saying, God, I believe you will provide what I need to be. This discipline of simplicity requires the process of learning to say one word. And you know what that word is? Enough. Enough. And where it is that we live in this world and where it is that we live in this part of the metro, saying enough is a hard spiritual practice for us. We don't often think about praying, God, Help me to need what you know that I need. And so we miss the, the beauty and the simplicity of this particular verse. So, all that being said, we're going to go real quickly now. Trusting God for daily provision requires humility. If I'm going to trust God for daily provision, I'm going to have to be humble enough to, it says in verse 11, the very first word is what? Give. That's to make a request. Do you know who doesn't pray this prayer? Atheists don't pray this prayer because atheists don't believe that they need anybody outside of themselves for anything. I'll get my own bread. I don't need your help. 
Simple requests show us that in an ongoing, (laughs) unending fashion, we are saying we are dependent on God. And so here's just a pause. This is coming to my mind right now. Here's the pause to think about. Do you and I really live with that kind of spirit of dependence? Now, I'm not saying that you and I aren't supposed to work and provide for ourselves. We have the part that we have to do. Paul says, if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't expect to eat because, you know, you're acting like an unbeliever. So we're expected to do our part, but do we have a spirit that truly is a spirit of dependence on God? Is there this ongoing, this ongoing spirit that says, God, I absolutely depend on you? Far from being self-sustaining, I am a needy creature. When was the last time you looked in the mirror and you said, you are a needy person? You need God. You can't make it without him. You, how many of you, how many of you ever created a seed? How many of you have created dirt that the seed goes in? How many of you created the sun that shines upon the seed? How many of you have created water? None of us have done that. So unless we are absolutely arrogant, pride-filled people, Give us today what we need should be for us the spirit in which we live our lives. I'm dependent on God for everything. You think you're self-made? No, you're not. Everything that you have has been a gift. You've maybe done a great deal with it, but we're all dependent on God. We're all reliant on a source outside of ourselves to go on living. We are like beggars who only hope for food and shelter. The only hope that we have is the compassion of God. So this is what I know. Acknowledging acknowledging that I am having to be humble before God, that, I, that I'm acknowledging that is difficult. Acknowledging dependency on God is difficult. Is it for you? Are you anything like me? I grew up in a family where you didn't ask for help. We were raised to be self-sufficient from a very young age, and we were expected to figure things out. And to ask for help was like, you know, you just don't do that in the Mies family. You don't ask for help. You just figure it out. Here was a mantra I heard often. If you want it done right, do it yourself. Sounds pretty self-sustaining and like I don't need God. Frederick Beekner says to pray, give us today our daily bread requires boldness. Have you ever thought about that? That this is actually a bold prayer. The reason it's a bold prayer is because it takes guts to face God's omnipotence and face our own impotence. It takes guts to say, I am standing before a God who has created and sustains all things, doesn't need me to exist. And it's a hard thing to go, 
Apart from him, I have no power whatsoever. We can do nothing without God. We have nothing without God. Without God, we are nothing. So coming from a humble heart, we say, God, give us. And this is acceptable to God. And this is actually pleasing to God. It isn't the demand of God. Now, you can have a spirit of demand, and you can have a spirit of expectation, like maybe a 16-year-old who says to his parents at the age of when he turns 16, I expect a car on my birthday. Good luck. If a 16-year-old if a said that to his parents, it's, he's belittling his parents. He's asking his parents to be his servant and to just... You know, do whatever he demands, do what I expect. But if that same 16-year-old were to come to his mom and dad and say, Mom and dad, I need your help because, because you know how to drive and I don't. He's expressing dependence on them that honors them. If he says, you have something that I need, you have something that you can teach me, I am coming to you in humility with my request, that actually honors the parents. So when we come to God with a humble heart, we are honoring him. We honor him as the sole source of supply for us. It, it doesn't bother God to ask him for what we need. It actually honors him. So trusting God for daily provision requires humility. The second truth is this. It's about trusting not just for me, but for us. Go back to verse 11. Give who? Give. One more time. Give who? Give. Give us today our daily bread. The Lord's Prayer starts off with our Father. And then the last verses go, give us, forgive us, do not bring us into temptation. So, what this does is this flies in the face of selfishness. A selfish person would never pray this prayer. A selfish person would pray, give me today my daily bread. I don't care if anybody else gets anything. I just want to make sure that I have what I need and I want. This is a reminder that we are not the only, pe only, only person on earth. This is a reminder to us that it's not about you, and it's not about me, it's about God, and it's about, about us. So here's an experiment. Here's just an experiment I'm going to give you to do. How often do you think only of yourself? And then to add to that, do an experiment one, sometime where you mark down the number of times in the course of a day you say, I, me, and my. And just reflect on that for a little bit. Now, if you, if you read through the Bible, what do you see? You see that God has love for those who are in need. God has a, a special place in his heart for the poor, for the disenfranchised, for the orphan, for the widow, for the outsider. So if we see with the eyes of God, if we feel with the heart of God, if we move with the feet of God, we will care about other people and not just about ourselves, and we will experience the joy of sharing the bread God gives to us with others who have less 
bread, less means than we do. I think one of the great testimonies of the power of the gospel is found by studying the early church. And one of the things that you discover about the early church is Acts chapter 4. There were no people in the church who had needs because everybody was willing to say, what I have, I'm willing to give up in order that you can have. So some folks were selling their property or their homes in order to feed people that were poor or to help them out. They understood the truth of Proverbs 22.9. A generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. They understood the blessing that comes from being willing to say, it's not just about me, it's about, it's about us. Whenever I went on mission trips to Haiti, Sierra Leone, and India, I had a crash course in learning how much I have. It was a crash course to realize that I live in the 1% of the entire world in terms of wealth. A number of years ago, as a church, we made a commitment that we were going to walk and run half and full marathons in order to raise money for children in sub-Saharan Africa who don't have clean water. And one of the experiments that we did is go to your home and count all the places that you can turn on a faucet and you can get clean water from. And when I counted 12 different places in my home that I could get clean water from, and I realized that there were children in Africa that would walk miles to have a, a jerry a jug, and they would be getting dirty, contaminated water that would cause dysentery and all of that. I realized, oh my goodness, I am blessed with so much. We had an opportunity in the life of our church to say, hey, would you and I be willing to adopt on a monthly basis children in other places through World Vision who need food, who need water, who need education? And in our church, there were about 350 children who were sponsored on one particular Sunday, and you know what it's like to support them, whether it's through world vision or through, or through Compassion International. When you and I do that, we're saying, God, give us today our daily bread. And when, we, when we're willing to say it's not just about me, but it's about us, and when we are willing to pray for the well-being of God's people, we're also praying something like this. Let their well-being be related to the first three petitions. Oh, Lord, give them today what they need to exist in order that they can honor your name, in order that they can live for your kingdom in order that they may obey your will. And let's draw this to my last point. Trust is based on God's character. We start with adoration before provision. We trust God for daily provision. That requires humility. That requires us thinking us and not just about ourselves. 
and it is based on God's character. I can trust God for daily provision because I understand his character. Now, this is what I know. One of Satan's schemes is to try to convince you and me that the Father is holding out on us somehow, that he does not really love us, that he does not care for us, that he is a stingy God, that God has a scarcity mentality, he does not have an abundance mentality. What did Satan do when he approached Eve? He suggested that if God really loved her, he would permit her to eat from the forbidden tree. What did Satan do when Jesus was in the desert? He tempted Jesus with the question of hunger. If your father loves you, why are you hungry? And so that's the way the enemy approaches us. He approaches us, tries to get us to believe that God's character is not good, that he is not a loving father. Jesus' half-brother James reminds us of God's goodness when he says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I can trust God for daily provision in a spirit of humility and that God has enough for all of us and not just me because God is good. And as a good God, God only gives good gifts. Everything good in this world comes from God. If it did not come from God, it is not good. If it comes from God, it must be good. Even if we don't see the goodness in the moment, God is a good God and he only gives good gifts. And God gives constantly, it says, coming down from the Father of lights. Literally, that means it keeps on coming down all the time. God does not give occasionally. He gives constantly. God does not change. Everything around us is changing. I don't know if you've noticed it, but tie-dyes have come back into fashion. Those of us who have gray hair or no hair, you remember when tie-dyes were fashionable. You remember when you used to have the tie-dyed shirts? Well, they're back now. We bought tie-dyed clothing for our little granddaughter, and it's like, I feel like deja vu. It's like really groovy, man. <laughs> Far out. Bell-bottoms are coming back. Remember those? I've seen bell-bottoms. I'm not going to buy them. I did it once. I had platform shoes. My bells were so big, you couldn't see my platform shoes. You didn't know that I was 5'8 when I was stepping out at 5'11 with my Dexters. <laughs> it is impossible for God to change. God doesn't change like fashions, God doesn't change like the economy. God is constant. It is, it is impossible for God to change. He cannot change for the worse because he's holy. He cannot change for the better because he is perfect. I can trust God for daily provision of what I need to be, what I need to exist, what is essential for me because God is always good, God is always caring, God is always generous, so I can ask him for what I need, knowing that he will give me 
what I know and what he knows that I actually need. So the essence of this prayer, the essence of this prayer is the affirmation of the Father's care. That's the essence of this prayer. And when I know who God is, I can trust what God gives. When you know who he is, you can trust what he gives. In closing, let me remind you of some words from Jesus. He said it best about the bread that we really need to live on. He said this. Matthew records that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God wants us to have bread that is essential to have a physical life. He wants to give us everything that we need in this life to live and to flourish. And God has given to us everything that we need to exist eternally starting right now, every word that comes from God. So the question is, are we feeding on God's truth? If we're not, we're famished. John says that Jesus is the bread of life and that Jesus is the word of God. So ultimately, it comes down to this question. Are you feeding on Christ? Is your life drawing its source from him and if it's not why not do you have a better alternative is there someone else to whom you can go who has the words of eternal life is there someone else to whom you can turn who cares as deeply for you as God does so I would encourage you today if you've never said yes to Jesus do so today. Let's pray. You give us life. You sustain us. We acknowledge, God, that apart from you, we would not be living physically, and apart from you, we would not have true life that is abundant and life that flourishes. God, would you, would you create within us a greater spirit of gratitude where we thank you for everything that we have and not just for big things but for the, the very small and seemingly mundane things. Would you help us to have a heart of gratitude? Would you help us to learn the spiritual practice of contentment? God, would you give us eyes to see not just what is in our own personal sphere of our life, but would you give us eyes to see and hearts to feel and hands to feed those who have not experienced all that we have in terms of material and spiritual blessing. Would you help us to be individuals who really do think not about just ourselves, but think about us. We praise you for being such a good God. We woke up to this 
to, to a world that we did not create. We woke up to a relationship with you that we did not earn. We have woken up, we've been awakened in the presence of a good, caring, loving, generous, non-changing God who only gives what is good. Help us to revel and to take our joy in that. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And together we said, amen.